Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But to each of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in, in, in all things grow up into him who is the head that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. I'm going to say a lot in the next couple of minutes, probably too much for some of you. Um, But there's so much being said in this just short 16 verses in the Bible. Um, And it's the challenge of preaching is that the the Bible is dense in so many ways and it's complex in so many ways and it's ambiguous and mysterious at times. And to try to pull that apart and, and make sense of it is a difficult task. Um, Paul is writing to the disciples of Jesus who are striving to be unified with each other through the challenges of all their differences. And let me tell you, there are differences there. Um, If you read just a little further in this, and we won't go there, but there's bitterness, rage, brawling, slander, anger, and, and, and every form of malice, he says, that's happening in the church. So there are some differences going on. There's some tension. But Paul is hopeful. He's hopeful that, he can, that they can figure it out with the help of the Holy Spirit in light of how much they are loved in Jesus and some practical ways to treat each other. Now, uh, he lays out some imperatives and some directives. The first thing he does is he says, Hey, Ephesians, be completely humble and gentle. We can just close it up right there and head home, right? Like... Wow, if we could just get that, wouldn't that solve all our problems? 
He says, be patient and bear with one another in love. Well, Paul, what does complete humility and gentleness and patience and bearing with each other, what does this look like? Give us some practical applications, Paul. And he points them to Jesus. And he calls them to commit to the kind of life in posture and in practices that Jesus had, a life of descending, of lowering of humbling oneself to serve others. He appeals to each of them and all of them collectively to lowering themselves to build others up. Why? Because Christ, the King of glory, Emmanuel, the Lamb of God, the Alpha and Omega, the wonderful Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Prince of Peace, the Bread of Life, the Redeemer, the Living Stone, the Son of God, Him who rides across the highest heavens, the ancient heavens, who thunders with a mighty voice, whose majesty is over His people, whose power is in the heavens, who is awesome in the sanctuary, came low in flesh in humility, in service, in anonymity, in solidarity, in suffering to build up his church, to equip his people for service so that the body may be built up. So Paul says to his brothers and sisters in this tension with each other, lower yourselves to build others up. Descend from your position willfully and make every effort to be like Christ for one another. Make every effort to live up to the calling you've received. I don't often naturally look for opportunities to lower myself. Like, I don't think I'm alone in that, though, right? Like, I, not many of us seek to, I don't know, I'm going to lower my salary this year, right? I'm, I'm looking to lower my job title this year. Or, I, I don't know, lower my social status, lower our positions in the world. If anything, that lowering has to be coerced by, for, for us, right? Or it has to be forced or shamed into, but it's unwelcomed. I'm happy to know Jesus did it for my sake. I'm a little troubled that he would have me do it for others, though. But there are spaces and practices and habits in my life that are training me to serve and love and offer myself in Christ to others. My marriage is a training ground to be more like Jesus. How about yours? Uh, Not to be served, but to serve as he came to serve. It's a space where I learn to lay down my life as Christ does for the church. And in my weakness and in my imperfection to receive love and grace and mercy from Rachel. And it's formative. There is no other relationship on earth that is more formative and impacting your spiritual walk than who you marry. And most importantly, how you posture yourself towards who you marry. That's the long haul transformation right there. Into the character of Christ. It's dangerous. It's beautiful. It's complex. It's rewarding. 
So if you're not married and you're thinking about it, choose wisely. My parenting is a training ground to learn to be more like Jesus. Uh, A place where I serve the needs of others who really are not that grateful that I'm serving their needs as much as I am, right? Uh, But I'm training them along the way to be more grateful and to love others. It's a messy business. I'm not that good at it. But it's a training ground for my discipleship. Because I'm trying to imitate Jesus in those relationships. The small group that I'm a part of is a training ground. We gather our family together this week in the car and we go out in the, you know, three degree weather or whatever it is. And we go to the Seton's house and fellowship and we commit to a small group of disciples that are not a physically fa- physical family, but we're going to treat like physical family. And we practice love and commitment there. And we receive so much love and commitment from our small group. We practice hosting each other and listening to each other and encouraging each other and loving one another in Christ. And I think we have the best small group. It's an amazing group of servants. I'm not going to argue the point, but... (laughs) The church, this community is a space for me to train to be like Jesus. To practice forgiveness, to practice humility, to practice patience, kindness, generosity, service, and so on. I don't always want to do it. But I am more like Jesus today because I have chosen to belong to the people I do church with. Chosen to belong. Over the last 20 years, seen myself as inescapably connected to the people I do faith with. Discipleship times, which if you're not familiar with that language, it's the time in our week where we try to get with people and just talk about our lives. It's confessional, it's encouraging, it's prayerful, it's just sharing life together. And we have different relationships that we do that with on a regular basis. Every week I'm in discipleship times. And those times shape me. They change who I am over the course of time to practice a confessional life to practice a life of encouragement and accountability and consistency in relationships with others. It changes me over time. And that's the goal, isn't it? To become more like Jesus so that we can give more to others in the course of our lifetime. More like Jesus, more for others. That's our formational goal. We do live, though, in a culture... And we have to ask ourselves, just as Paul and the Ephesians are asking of one another, how do we live in this culture? What do we learn about being built together into the kind of church that Christ is revealed to in the world? What kind of community that we can be as a multinational, multiracial, multigenerational people? How can we be the kingdom of heaven on display in our day and age? Is there a word from God about how we too should aim to build the church in our day? And I think we need to take a moment to assess a bit of our cultural moment because culture always influences the church. Any letter that you read in the New Testament is a church wrestling with their culture as it's being influenced by the cultures outside of them. And those cultures outside of them are affecting the relationships inside the church. That's every letter that you read in the New Testament. And so... We have to think about the river in which we find ourselves swimming, the current that is moving around us. Ours is a competitive culture. 
where we find we are constantly being convinced that there's not enough to go around. And there's this unceasing striving for more. Always up and to the right is the hope for our lives, right? The formative culture we are floating along in is heading in a specific direction towards personal advancement in whatever hierarchy we see ourselves in. We're obsessed with this idea. And along with the idea and the tension and the, the burden and the anxiety that comes from trying to rise up in whatever hierarchy we see ourselves in, we have to cope with a profuse obsession with hedonism and pleasure, right? More materials, more experiences, more shows to binge or whatever, right? An individual enlightenment that will set us free as we just become the best version of ourselves. Money, materials, career paths, square footage, life hacks, resumes, portfolios, experiences, and so on are all aimed at making us great. We have been persuaded that significance and meaning only come with a correlation to the amount of people that know your name or follow your posts or feel directly influenced by you. We have an obsession with greatness and grandeur and prominence, not humility and lowering ourselves. We love what the cross does for us. But there's a whole Christian culture that's convinced it isn't something that they're called to carry for others. In 2021, ACU and Barna Research did a study where they, they placed the amount of people, and this is 2021, so, you know, extrapolate that out a couple of years. The amount of people in the U.S. who claim a Christian identity at about 69% of the population. But only about 6% of, the, of that that actually demonstrate a consistent understanding in biblical application. Like that, they, they, that what they believe, they actually try to practice. So there's a, there's a gap there. We live in a time where there is an increasing hostility towards Christianity in the Western world. Specifically the Christianity that's defined by practicing the way of the cross. That gap between the 69% of those who claim to know Jesus and the 6% who show that they do. And the statistics could be argued. It's more just to illustrate the point. The kind of person people think of when they hear Christian or the word Christian is rarely someone who makes room for others who are unlike themselves who lowers their positions of privilege to build others up, who would go so far as to even lay down their life for their enemies because they're living for a kingdom that's not born of the kingdoms of this world. And I'll let you figure out what the other caricature is that they do think of. But I think we can all admit there's a gap. As readers of the Ephesians letter, we recognize that just like them, the culture outside the church is influencing our relationships in the church. And so at the risk of overgeneralizing, I think we have to examine some of the cultural streams that we find ourselves in, particularly in 2024. Now, I will say that there is an influence coming from those who are living into the secular progressive myth that God is not needed to heal our wounds, but that 
we, born of our own enlightened individualism, technique and reason and technology and education and government, that we can fix it all autonomously and apart from the confinements of Christianity or even God. It is a materialism and a humanism that scoffs at the idea of following a rabbi who miraculously is said to have raised from the dead 2,000 years ago and claims to be the exclusive son of God. Secularism is increasing and influencing the church for sure. However, there is also a pressure from those who profess Christian identity to bend to a narrative of faith in Christ that equates to winning battles against the enemies of the U.S. National enemies and perceived cultural enemies. It is an influence on many who identify as a Christian today. And it sees following Jesus as a means to financial, military, and political success. A means by which power is meant to be centralized with those who have a Christian nationalist narrative to ensure the future of the country. It is a Christianity that sees following Jesus as a guarantee to winning personally and otherwise, and will destroy any enemies that stand in the way through ridicule or violence. Neither of these views sees the cross as something to be embraced for themselves personally. Christ, if he's anything in these views, is is kind of a means to an end. The, The end being the actualization of our human ideals that exist in a short generational window. But not those that are actually taught by Jesus in our eternal truths. Are you with me right there? And so whether it's autonomous self-actualization or national triumph and success, it all runs up against complete humility and gentleness and patience and love and the way of the cross and lowering yourself to build others up, it's just not the roadmap to greatness. And it wasn't in Paul's day either. And yet we read the teachings of Jesus. If any one of you wants to come after me, they must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. The greatest among you will be your servant. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. They didn't persecute Jesus because of his politics. They didn't persecute him because of his private beliefs or his public statements on hot-button topics. They persecuted Jesus because of his righteous love for others that threatened the ways of power in a violent control system. He was so committed to that life that he would ultimately hand himself over to the shame of that system, to die at the hands of those whose only way of being in the world is motivated by death. A life of the cross, of self-offering love in order 
To reconcile those who are alienated from God is the way of Jesus, and it takes the form of lowering ourselves in welcome and grace and service to build others up, and it will bring persecution and blessing. And it's the mode in which the church is meant to operate in all of her differences and weaknesses. On the night he was betrayed, he got down on his knees and washed his disciples' feet. And he told them, now that you know these things, not that you know them intellectually as information, but you've experienced this from me, you will be blessed if you do this. Uh, I actually have spoke at Pioneer Valley Church before I was hired at Pioneer Valley Church. And in 2018, I was here for a weekend or something, and, and I shared a quote by Dallas Willard that I heard again this week, randomly. I just thought it was so good and so appropriate for what we're talking about. I wanted to share it again with you. The greatest issue facing the world today, with all its heartbreaking needs is whether those who by profession or culture are identified as Christians will become disciples, students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of of the heavens into every corner of human existence. Isn't that beautiful? What the world needs is practitioners of the cross. And Josh is going to preach more about that next week and some of the practicals around that because Paul gets into that. The way of Jesus has never been the dominant culture. Not in any government or in any generation. And it's never been perfectly harnessed by a group of people who call themselves the church either, by the way. So just take comfort in that. So the need of every generation is for people who profess faith in Jesus to actually train to become like Jesus in offering themselves in love to the world around them. A kind of people who will, as Paul says, no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. But those who by practice, by lowering themselves to build others up in a way of the cross, they know Jesus and they are speaking truth in love, growing together in community to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Are you worried about the future of the church? Paul gives some very practical answers on how to protect the church. Defending the church comes from loving one another. Maturing the church comes from loving one another. Building the church comes from loving one another. If there is a secret sauce that Paul is trying to lay down for the Ephesians, it's love for one another. Sacrificial, humble, gentle, patient, imitating Christ by lowering themselves to build others up in the presence of all their differences, kinds of love. We celebrated uh, Martin Luther King this week. He said, if I cannot do great things... I can do small things in a great way. So this isn't about grand gestures. It's not about those who take the center of the stage. This is about everyday living in our households, in our small groups, in our worship places, in our workplaces. 
How do we make this practical? Because as Americans, we don't like mystery. And we don't like to wrestle with the unknown. We want something to do to make us feel safe and like we're doing good, right? So God meets us where we're at. Amen. But here's some practical things to consider. First, imitate those who aren't on stage. We need to develop a practice of looking to the margins for good news. Not those who have the most followers on Instagram or the the biggest spread of a podcast. We have a community of servants here in the Pioneer Valley Church. People who love and serve and are gentle and are humble. And we need to follow their lead. Now, I think about Lizeth. Um, I'm running low, but it's kind of unavoidable to witness her serving. Like, she's everywhere, right? And, and, uh, and serving so many, including our family. But she's a leader in our church in how she serves and how she loves. I think about Wendell. Uh, he's serving so many in the church without praise, without recognition, except for right now. Um, <laughs> But as an older man in the faith, who he's offering his car, his time, his muscle power to serve and move chairs and do whatever he can do and make time to be with young Christians and encourage the sisters. Whatever he can do, he is all in. He's a leader. I want to follow him. I think about Lauren, who is a, a young Christian. And <laughs> she's just everywhere as well, right? These people are everywhere. And, uh, and she's, she's offering her... her, her energies and her time to serve in so many ways taking care of babies and families and bringing gifts to people and encouraging and praying and reaching out and i think about some of the people we can learn from most are you know the mothers in our ministry i mean you think about like lowering yourself to offer yourself to the needs of others i don't know if there's a greater role than motherhood in that 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 would fit that bill right um, I learned so much from Rachel about how she tends to our family, tends to us, and tends to the kids. Uh, we have so many single mothers who are serving their families sacrificially, who are building up their families in ways that if we could just learn to imitate, we would mature quickly. These are leaders in our community. We need to imitate those who aren't on stage and look. And look for them because they're there. Secondly, make your small group a training ground. Show up, first of all. If it's your small group or your campus ministry or your youth and family ministry or your singles ministry gathering, people are sacrificing time and energy and resources to to serve you and to provide a space of fellowship. The least you can do is show up. It's like the least you can do is just put on a coat and walk in the door. But, but do more than that. Show up to serve. Be there to give. Come with a gift, a word of encouragement, offer to help set up or clean up. Practice taking the lower position to build others up. Third, because we love practicals, carry your cross. Carry your cross. I heard this great illustration this week about the stream and, you know, the, the current and the culture and all this stuff. And 
Uh, basically, the, the, the emphasis was you got to swim upstream. If you think that just because you're treading water and you're staying above things spiritually, you're going to do okay, you're not. You're moving somewhere. There is a current that is going to take you. You're moving towards the culture that is all around you. If you want to become more like Jesus, it's going to take swimming against the culture of the day, against the political divisions of our country and those that are coming. Don't let a temporary king alienate you from participating in an eternal kingdom. Train to be like Jesus, not the culture. And this will mean that you have to tend to your rule of life. And if you're wondering what that is, a rule of life is essentially the habits and the practices that shape you to be who you are. And whether you know you have one or you don't, let me just tell you, you have one. You have a rule of life. It's how you spend your time and your day and your energies and your money and your relationships and where you most of all give your attention to. It shapes you over time. Another way of thinking about attention is worship. Where do you place your worship? Where do you give the most of your attention? What are your habits, your practices? Because all of those are shaping you to become someone. And if you want more on that, we can talk afterwards. We, we offer a course every year on the rule of life. We're starting that up in March again. Um, but if you're not intentional about how you apply the teachings of Jesus in a habitual way, you are unlikely to have a spiritual formation that will outpace the cultural formation. Because it's everywhere ongoing all the time so prayer and study and fasting and consecrating yourself through abstinence from harmful media hospitality simplicity silence and solitude sabbathing worship these are examples of how we intentionally organize our lives around the way of jesus carry your cross though we have kind of done some weird things to this idea of carrying your cross um, we have made it about, you know, bearing with a sickness or something that comes on you. Like, I'm carrying my cross through this illness. And, or, I'm carrying my cross by not indulging in some sin, some pet sin. Neither of one of those, by the way, are what Jesus had in mind. The cross was a vehicle of death that Jesus was reconstituting to be a vehicle of life as he offered himself to the world. And so carrying your cross, it may require denying some things in your life, but it's all about offering yourself in love to others that is carrying your cross. The people who are actually in your life. So carrying your cross. Start with your spouse. A little quiet. How about start with your children after that? So work with the spouse first and then move to the children. Your family, your household, your church, your neighbors. The people that you actually live with are the people that you're to carry your cross for. Are you with me right there? In the letter to the Ephesians, we have a vision of the church from Paul. He says, from him the whole body. A whole church joined and held together by every supporting ligament. Just look around for a moment and just look for some supporting ligaments. Some of you aren't looking. Look around. There's some po- supporting ligaments. Take a look around. 
It grows and it builds itself up as each part does its work. You have work to do. You have work to do in loving your brothers and sisters, in offering the way of the cross to those around you. There is one body and one spirit. God, God's church is not led by some animating power that goes in diverging directions. The Spirit isn't going to lead the church into battles with other humans where there's bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander and malice and at the same time call them to lay down their lives for them in love and generosity and welcome and humility and grace and service. That's two different spirits. And we have to wrestle with which one are we following. Paul says in Romans, be careful, test. And the way you test, you know how you know? You offer your body as a living sacrifice to others, as a spiritual act of worship. He says, then you'll know. You want to know how to follow God? Start loving people in your life. You'll figure it out. Mm -hmm. There is one Lord. The one who lowered himself, descended unto death to reconcile the world unto God and resurrected from the dead to inaugurate a new creation that we too can now live in. There is one faith. It is the faith that trusts and obeys the way of Jesus above all other options. Mm -hmm. There is one baptism. It is the baptism that pledges allegiance to and physically reenacts the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ through water and in doing so buries the old humanity with its violence and its scarcity in Him and is cleansed of that sin, cleansed by His blood and resurrects to participate in His new humanity. If you've not been baptized that way, you need to be. If you've undergone some other kind of baptism, you need to be baptized this way. And if you've never been baptized, please come talk to us. Please come talk to me afterwards. I want to help you get there. There is one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. God is not a divided God. He's not unsure and unclear about what his will is for our lives. God is unified and clear, and the way of king, the kingdom of heaven is, is made true and not known to us through the life of Jesus and through the cross. May we build together in Christ and through the way of Jesus the kind of community that reflects the kingdom to the world around us. Amen. Amen.